Hi Shumanto, thanks finally for doing this. I am so happy to have you on Brands, Brews and Banter. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm looking forward to this chat because the way that you've described it, that it's unstructured and freewheeling and you can say what you like, it sounds very different from the other podcasts that I've been on. Okay, so really looking forward to your unfiltered best. So, so folks, of course, Shumanto does not need any introduction, but I'll still go ahead uh, Shumanta, you were the former South Asia ACD at Ogilvy. You were chairman and CCO at 82.5 WPP. I think most folks hearing this would know you from the English Nut. Uh, some of uh, people listening to this would know you from having seen you in the movies in Piku and others. But very few people seeing this would know you as the Peter England man. <laughs> yeah <laughs> my god right. i absolutely loved that ad uh, so folks if you haven't seen it it's it's uh it's about 150 years old but you do go on his youtube you'll find it uh karina <laughs> karina yeah, was yeah. that your voice though first first of all tell me that. no no in those days in ads they never used you know your i mean they had like these even now most of the time they have dubbing artists come in and and finish the ads so you don't <laughs> get to use your own voice yeah. But you know what I was thinking, so like for that ad, what if you do like a 2024 version of it in which the guy is actually the OG stalker, like he hired the junkie and then he, yeah. he takes the newspaper aside and actually he planned it all. Yeah. Like that would but be you really know, I mean, You know, things like stalking, I mean, today is a no-no, right? I mean, it's, you, you can't even like jokingly talk about being a stalker and that ad was full on about stalking, you know, yeah. sort of in a way glorified it. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't know, in, in 2024, it would be very politically incorrect to make an ad like that. Yeah. By the way, also, uh, there is a uh, some blog or something uh, about 90s ads. Hmm. And there's an ad which I was in for hmm. Kodak cameras, you know, the film cameras. Yeah. And... Uh, which I didn't even remember because in in the in the past year I've been approached you know to do interviews where they said could you please tell us what are the ads you've done and I completely forgotten that I'd done this Kodak ad and uh, so I just saw this ad yesterday and I mean of course like I'm unrecognizable almost because I was so much younger but uh, again I thought it was politically incorrect because it's about uh, the kids' first steps, and the mother is at home with the child, and me, the father, has gone out to work, and I come back, and she says, "Guess what? Our son uh, took his first steps." And I said, "Oh no, I've missed it." And she said, "No, you haven't missed it because I've captured it uh, on the Kodak camera." And I say, "Oh, you like you managed to take a picture with the Kodak." I mean, that that's that's not what I say, but that's the internet. And she said. A Kodak camera ate them simple, and that's the thing. And then again, oh, the ad ends with her. So you know, it was so simple that even this lady could use it. So I'm just oh, thinking that, like, things have changed so much that even so, both the ads that I we talked about me being in uh, would be considered politically incorrect today. So yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen something like this. I think it's an old print ad, like a 40s American ad in which there's a either a dishwasher or a washer dryer and says it's so easy that even a woman can use something like that. Like it's it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, one of those yeah. Hall of Fame cringe ads which like keep coming up all the time. So this is like the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, there are these collections of those old American ads where they show, uh, you know, 
a woman lying down on the ground and the man's you know foot on her so there's all kinds of really offensive things which i mean you can't believe actually that you know that in the 40s and 50s you know these ads were considered perfect, perfectly acceptable but tell me yeah. in, like in recent past in the past 4 5 years has there been some like 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 a film or a concept which we would really felt for like which the team really rallied behind and then there was a client which kind of walked wanted to walk on eggshells and said ki nahi ye nahi karenge like tell me about like that kind of a situation so i i i of hand i can't think of a specific example but many i mean most of the time that's what happens so you uh, you know the your first presentation especially you burn the midnight oil and you come up with these concepts which you're really excited about and uh, you go and present them and uh, uh, the client doesn't buy them and i remember back in the day one of the typical uh, one of the things that clients used to say when they didn't want to uh, when they wanted to bomb your work but still make it seem that there was a hope so they say no this is a phase 2 campaign this this doesn't work for so you knew of course with experience that phase 2 never happened and this particularly at unilever i used to hear this a lot this is more like a phase 2 campaign and i you know sort of i learned the hard way that phase 2 is a phase that never happens so, <laughs> but yeah i can't i, I mean honestly i can't uh, think of a specific ad right now but like i said every every ad film for example that you see on air i mean there are so many rounds uh most of the time where your you know the scripts that you're presenting the campaign that you're presenting is getting totally bomb that uh, yeah it's yeah. tell I me mean, one i'm saying tell me tell one you. frustrating piece of client interaction where you felt like of course the unilever one is a like it's i think it's the oldest trick in the book okay? it's it's like saying when you want to get out of a shop and you say okay uh, we'll just look around and we'll come back and that comeback never comes so that's the phase 2 equivalent huh. tell me like one client interaction which really made you feel ke okay, i i wish there was no law and order and i had and i could punch this person so, uh, so uh, yeah i i mean there was a cement brand that i i was working on for a couple of years uh, from my last uh, job and i think that was one of the most frustrating experiences because there was a marketing head there who uh, i mean i couldn't believe i mean you wonder at times at how these people have these uh, long and flourishing careers and you know he worked at other you know agencies where ogilvy was the agency but you know what happened at 82.5 unfortunately was that though it was an ogilvy agency we didn't have the clout of an ogilvy you know we couldn't say uh we're ogilvy so f off i mean not that ogilvy says that but there is a lot of pressure that can be brought to bear uh when you're walking in from ogilvy <clears throat> so uh to me it was just unbelievable uh, you know while i said that we often do many rounds i remember in one particular case for a commercial that we did end up doing uh, just from the script being approved uh, to the final production the marketing head wanted to do so many meetings uh, initially just with the agency and you would say you no know, every word we must look at and things like and of course 
with every round it generally it, it became worse as it usually does you know that's the way the cookie crumbles when uh, the marketing head and his and then he asks his juniors also what, what do you think and every idiotic comment that comes from any of them then you're kind of forced to and then uh, we actually brought the director on board who was a very good director and uh, normally you know directors will come and do at best they'll do one interaction with the client before the uh, pre uh, pre-production meeting so in this case you know the i the guy had to come in at least three or four times and even with his casting you know we went into round after round and this guy was not and at the end of it the director called me up and said shimonto uh, i'm returning the advance money i i don't want to do this commercial and i had to beg him i said look you know whatever it is if you do it you know with all the compromises that we are making it will still turn out a lot better than you know if i have to go to a lesser director and so you know i i kept uh, this guy on board and that's because you know i uh having worked in the industry for so long i have you know strong relationships with most of the ad film directors so i i had to use that but yeah i mean if you see the work that's come out on that brand uh, uh it, it's crap i mean most of the ads that we did were really really bad but uh you know we didn't have a choice because you know after presenting 40 scripts one would get approved and then we'd have 40 rounds of changes on the script so you you ended up with a piece of shit <laughs> i'm i'm sure folks listening to this are going to uh, 82.5 roster and figuring out which are the cement brands that you worked on but uh, and also <laughs> who was the cmo at the time more importantly <laughs> you know i yes. i'm sure you would have you would have had some good ones also right some like like i'm i'm sure gilby <clears throat> would have given you a few amazing client interactions that you loved uh yeah i think that uh, uh i've had some wonderful uh, experiences i mean from going back many many years somebody <clears throat> that i had a, a brand that i was really close to my heart was uh, maharashtra tourism and uh, so the gentleman who was in charge the ias officer over there i mean he was fantastic because uh, he had he had come in new to this particular assignment and he really wanted to do good work so like everything that i would go and present to him he would say this is fantastic it's fabulous let's do it so i mean of course their budgets were really low but at that that was the era when print was still pretty big so we managed to do some fantastic print campaigns together and uh, you know i i'm still i still am in touch with him once in a while because uh, you know he he gets such a vision and the people who you know they get transferred after a while in, from these kind of so once he left uh, things changed and then we were not able to but the the he was there for three or four years which is also quite a long period of time and i think i did some of my best uh, print campaigns uh, on maharashtra tourism and i remember we coined this uh, baseline maharashtra unlimited uh, and that was their baseline for many many years we created the logo and then lots of uh, lots of award winning campaigns for them so that was a really positive experience and i really remember uh, him fondly his name is ashish kumar singh 
Uh, I remember him very fondly. So he's with some other government department right now. He's moved through many different assignments. Yeah. Since you spoke of awards, I I definitely want to ask you, what do we as an industry do about these pan masala awards? Like pretty much every publication worth its grain is giving you an award, and we have like like on one end, of course, there's a demand there's a demand problem, and then there's a supply problem, and there's also young creatives who want to get encouraged, like a pat on the back. So there's good and yeah. the bad. Uh, like like what do you think about awards? Like and do you think we give ourselves too many of them? Yeah, I do. You know, of course, also because I'm out of the mainstream advertising job. I mean, I was also this young creative who was obsessed with awards. Uh, though, of course, uh, those days there were not, there was not this proliferation of what you call pan masala awards. Uh, there were there were just a handful of people giving out awards. So then it it, it meant it was more special at that time compared to what it is now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now that I look at it, uh, I feel that, you know, this whole awards thing is a bit of a con job anyway, because, you know, you are, uh, it it makes, it motivates young creative people to burn the midnight oil, work like crazy and, you know, put up with all, you know, all the rejections that we, you know, we were talking about, clients rejecting all the good stuff in the hope that there's that one piece they're going to be able to get through and that keeps them going often even when the uh, agencies are not always able to pay the best of salaries. Uh, you know, th- this is a reality of, of the advertising business. And uh, it was this, you know, the sort of uh, bait of the, okay, you can win an award and become famous. You have that, your 15 minutes of fame by going up on stage, which uh, which kept you going. And now that I think about it, you know, it's not the it's not the greatest of things. And coming to the Pan Masala Awards, it really is absurd today because I also keep getting invited to either do a panel discussion or to give out awards. And you're just amazed. And the other thing is they give out so many awards, they can't really even show the winning piece on screen. Uh, so you don't even know what it is, but it often doesn't look like it's anything great. Uh, it's not... You know, it may be a very effective digital piece, but there doesn't seem to be like a big creative idea at the heart of it. And I feel that, you know, regardless of how our, our media have moved on, we're in this digital age and it's, you know, it's all about uh, performance uh, apart from anything else. Of course, effectiveness is important, but uh, I think the ideal world is where there's a piece which is highly effective and it's got a fantastic breakthrough creative idea at the base of it so yeah so i just think that it's you know we need to have fewer awards otherwise you know the respect that you know when you put in your resume that you know you're an award-winning creative it it's not meaning that much anymore because every single person today is an award-winning creative absolutely i think uh, guilty as charged uh... They do feel good in the mm-hmm. moment, but then I yeah. think people see through the hogwash. Uh, where are you finding your creative expression these days, Shumanto? Uh, well, I the English nut is something that I have been working on for the past four years. In fact, one of the reasons that I started the English nut was because 
of the frustration of clients who don't uh, approve your creative. And I said, what if I was my own client and I could do what I wanted? So that that's kind of how it started. And that's uh, that's something that I'm passionate about. And I every week, that's like a big part of my week, you know, thinking about what my video, you know, main video is going to be the following. Because every Sunday I upload a video. So researching that, uh, scripting it, shooting it, and all of that. So that's something that uh, I think that keeps my creativity going. Um, what else? I, I I was approached to write a book based on the English nut. So I've written, I've been writing that manuscript. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in fact, now I've been approached to write, co-write another book about a filmmaker. So that's that's still in its early stages. So yeah, I find myself in the process of writing two books. Um, I'm also, you know, I, I figured that now that I have more time on my hands, I want to uh, do more acting. So I'm trying to get back into acting, which is which I'm finding quite challenging because, um, you know, now the whole thing is there are these casting directors, and it's really interesting the casting directors who would have been dying maybe to speak to me when I was working at an agency. Now I don't want to give me time of day when I send them an email or a WhatsApp saying, hey, you know, I please uh, cast me in something. Really? So that that's like that that's an interesting experience. But yeah, I'm doing theater workshops and uh, sort of keeping myself uh, tuned up so that if, if and when the opportunity... I've done an ad... Uh, a few months ago and I'm going to be doing another one this month. So yeah. And I've done a cameo in a, in a web series, but I'm looking obviously to do much more uh, substantial roles. Yeah. But tell me about the why behind it, like the why behind getting back to acting and like kind of wanting to pursue that love in a much deeper way. So, so the why behind that is that, uh, you know, after having done advertising for a few decades, uh, I mean, I don't think that I can be, I'm no longer so excited, but I, I'm still doing advertising projects freelance. Uh, but uh, I always, you know, acting was always something that I did on and off, but I was not able to pursue it because I didn't have the time. And so now that I, I want to get back into it, uh, it's, I, you know, the, you have to spend a lot of time on it, even, you know, honing your craft and all that. And I really enjoy that. That's the biggest thing. I think that what you're spending your time doing to, for any profession or a passion, whatever it's, if you're enjoying that, that's the most important thing. So obviously I would be more excited if, uh, and when I get a big, uh, you know, uh, that breakthrough role, but even uh, otherwise, I'm just enjoying. Uh, I'm enjoying doing the workshops that I'm doing. I'm enjoying working on uh, my diction and all the things that go into uh, acting. And I'm watching a lot of theater myself uh, because I think there's nothing that immediately you're seeing somebody on stage and especially somebody who's a, a good actor that you learn a lot from it. And there's it's it's really exciting. I mean, for me, it's really exciting. And in fact, one of the things that I've discovered to my frustration now that I'm be- I've become a, a fairly regular theater goer is that 
the whole uh, culture of theater goers has really uh, you know deteriorated in this city and i suppose one of the main one of the main culprits is the mobile phone because though before every show they will you know the group will come and announce please switch off your mobile phones people don't do it so apart from the fact that some people don't uh, switch their ringers off and you suddenly hear a phone ringing and all that there's also uh, you know somebody sitting next to you you will invariably be checking their phone and sending messages and that uh, light that comes from the screen is the most distracting thing ever if you're trying to focus on the performance that's going on in front of you so that is i mean if there's one thing that i could change every time i go for a play i really i have a very cold interaction with because invariably the person next to you because everybody is just checking them i don't know why they've come to see a play you know because they're checking their phones sending messages once i went and there was i think cricket going on and this person was actually checking cricket scores every minute till i just said will you please stop you know in uh, in a stage whisper so that i didn't disturb the yeah so i, I just think and then people uh, i go to the nmacc which is a fantastic uh, the ambani cultural center it's it's fabulous but they actually allow people to come in late which is horrible yeah. because in one of their smaller theaters the entrance is next to the stage so you're watching the play and imagine like five people suddenly walking making a lot of noise because the floors are wooden uh, i i just don't get it like places like prithvi you you could be like the biggest vip they will not let you in once the you know bell goes off and the, the show is starting so yeah so that's just one of my pet peeves and i thought i just maybe somebody hearing this will take a call to stop allowing people to walk into a theater late Yeah, I can I can imagine somebody on stage how distracting and like that would yeah. like just disrupt your flow, right? And and that's yeah. really frustrating because you then quickly have to gain it back because there are a couple yeah. of hundred people looking at you. I can just yeah. imagine. But I want to double click on the English nut. Like, of course, I'm a fan. I've yeah. been a fan. Congratulations for four years because I saw the post you put up on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, yeah. Four bloody years, and and the day I I kid you not, the day you put up the uh, episode with Mr. Tharoor. I was yeah. happy. I was like, this is the collaboration that everybody wanted, but nobody would <laughs> like, 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 were not able to vocalize that. Like, this is what we needed. This is what the people needed. So, how's how's uh, just take me through the journey? Like, yeah, it was a fabulous experience, of course. So, it started with, uh, um, uh, there was an American comedian who had uh, an, an Indian American comedian. Uh, Hasan Minhaj, right? That's his name. So he came to India and he uh, he he gave a quiz to Shashi Tharoor with all the you know with American slang, hmm. uh, which and Shashi Tharoor didn't get any of the uh, answers right. Like because what? Because it was just uh, like the word thick, apparently, oh. which is spelled T H I C C and. I mean, yeah. honestly speaking, even I I had to look up those words. I mean, they were like I, I'm sure those words are. This was a few years ago, so I, I, those words have gone out of circulation by now, so they don't even exist anymore. So uh, I just put a a video on English Nut saying, "Dear Doctor Tharoor, you know 
I think as the English nerd, I should interview you and I should give you a quiz. And I promise you, we won't be talking about the kind of English that <laughs> you know you were quizzed on. We'll talk about proper English, uh, Queen's English, uh, and <laughs> English that's spoken in India. And when I put that video, not that he saw it, but uh, there was a young colleague of mine who saw that video and, and said, uh, you know, he said, I I want to take this up as a project. Can I help you make it happen? And, you know, honestly, when I put that video, I wasn't, I did want to interview Sashitaru, but it was in my head something in the distant future. So this guy said, no, no, let's try to make it happen. So I said, okay. Then began this long journey where we were trying to uh, figure out how to get in touch with Shashi Tharoor. You know, we uh, we had various numbers of his managers. I mean, this guy was getting hold of them. And, uh, you know, we would always reach a dead end somewhere because the person would not, uh, even if we managed to speak to somebody, they would not be able to uh, get us a slot with uh, Shashi Tharoor. I found an email address of his and I wrote an email to him, but I did not get a reply to that either. So this went on for almost six months till one fine day. And by that time, we, you know, we were speaking to the fourth or fifth manager whose number we had got. And that guy suddenly one day said, listen, uh, November, whatever, this date, uh, you come to Delhi and you uh, do the interview. And I was quite nervous about it because, I mean, the English not is a labor of love. I don't make any money on it, honestly. And so I was traveling with two colleagues because we had to shoot it and we needed to, you know, have, there had to be three of the three of us. And so I was buying everybody's tickets and, you know, we said, okay, we'll take a morning flight. And uh, so that in case there are flight delays on, even though we were given a time of 5 p.m., you know, we'll go and recce. So we figured out, we went and we first checked out where his house is. Then we sat at a restaurant, which was near his house, uh, after staking out his place. And we went about an hour before uh, we were to get there and we were made to sit in an outhouse. And, You've been uh, a stalker for quite a few number of years. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've become a stalker. So we, and then, you know, we were called in and told that, you know, you can set up your equipment. Hmm. And uh, so we set up the equipment and uh, so then the manager came and said, oh, you know, he's going to be uh, late because he's doing an interview with some radio jockey internationally and that's running late. <clears throat> he has some other work. So anyway, finally he came in and he sort of strode in hmm. and he said, uh, oh, I just have 20 minutes and we had been promised an hour. Mm. And I panicked because I had these uh, sheets of paper with all my questions. And I was thinking, you know, which, if I just have 20 minutes, which other questions should I, you know, which should I drop and which ones should I go ahead with? So I was like, you know, sort of rifling through the papers. I dropped them on the floor and all that. And anyway, then I started. Mm. And then once I started, you know, he really warmed up to it and he, uh, he was answering all my questions and then, you know, 20 minutes passed and his manager, I could see somewhere in the background who kept sort of gesturing to me to basically to tell me to wind it up. But mm -hmm. I kept ignoring her yeah. and uh, Shashi Tharoor was gladly answering all my questions. And so I think after 45 minutes, I felt that I'd asked him almost all the questions on my li uh, list and I wrapped it up. 
but it was a fabulous experience because what i really liked about him was uh he was a person who didn't mind uh being seen as making a mistake on camera mm-hmm. you know if he didn't know if he gave a wrong answer or uh, he didn't mind i mean he didn't mind that you know people were going to see this whereas i think most people of that level in india would say no you know i i'm not going to you know please uh, please delete this thing because i don't want to be seen as making a mistake and he was he was really really sporting so that's what i loved about him and yeah the rest is history <laughs> yeah half a million views now right something like that i uh, i don't I haven't checked yeah but what i did was i divided it into some uh, four uh videos and i still have one last uh, episode to uh uh air so mm-hmm. that and i'm waiting for the elections to get over because even for the last <clears throat> episode which i uploaded uh last year i had a huge amount of problem because every time uh it was when we were trying to we wanted to promote it i normally don't promote most of my videos but shashi thirur i wanted and every time the ad kept being rejected by google saying that this is an election ad yeah and i and this went on for 6 months and mm. i you know i know some like top level people at google so i finally got in touch with them and i said please can you help because i don't know what's going on i mean i mm. i thought it's a conspiracy because of the party that he belongs to they said no no, <laughs> no there's nothing like that and they completely you know uh mm. you know this that theory of mine but yeah finally uh, uh, somebody from there and a really senior person stepped in and then the ad went through but i'm not willing to go through this heartache of so i'm hoping that once the election is over uh, and i i you know then they won't accuse me of running an election ad and it's so absurd because obviously i don't know whether this, this must be all mechanized because any human being who sees the video cannot possibly think that it's got anything to do with yeah, politics algorithms yeah. Yeah. algorithms eventually will like yeah. skynet will rise up and rule us all so this is the first step yeah of algorithms yeah. ruling us Uh, tell yeah, me about yeah. the one with and, and that's like a i'm a personal fanboy of mr ruskin bond tell me about that experience Yeah, so uh, I think Ruskin Bond, uh, another uh, another former colleague of mine was uh, doing some designing work for. There's something called the Ruskin Bond collection. You know, there's like a pen with his signature on it, etc. Which uh, Ruskin Bond's grandson started this endeavor to create uh, merchandise around that. So this uh, colleague of mine was uh, helping them out with that, and I think he showed them. uh the shashi tharur interview hmm so then they said can we get this guy to interview raskin bond oh, wow. so i said yeah of course that would be lovely and then i i remember you know i am not a person i don't have this concept of being a a fanboy you know <laughs> i don't i i don't you know sort of have adulation for film stars or anybody else but i i remember when i was speaking to raskin bond's grandson to plan out this thing they suddenly put mr bond on the call and i was so excited and you know i've heard his voice so many times on you know on his talks and interviews and all of that on youtube so i was so so excited and uh, yeah anyway so then um, i actually spent a lot of time going 
you know, I had not read all of his books, but I said, you know, you have to, if you're going to be interviewing an author, and you, what you find even with uh, many of Shashi Tharoor's interviews or with uh, interviews of Ruskin Bond, you know, it's the same questions with the same answers over and over again. And I said, I don't want to do that. So I, I sort of did a deep dive into his writing and mm-hmm. uh, who his inspirations are and all that. And uh, so then I was ready and I put together a set of questions and I emailed it to him so that he knew what they were. And then the time came and I went to Masuri and we shot. And again, I was told that, you know, he doesn't keep too well. So we'll have to take a lot of breaks. And uh, I don't know whether you'll have time to ask all the questions, but he was absolutely game for everything. In fact, when we were breaking for lunch, he said, let's finish the interview and then break uh, for lunch. And though he's like a great foodie and he loves to eat, he uh, still uh, said this. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was just simply wonderful to talk to him because he's, you know, he's got a really gentle way about him. Mm. And uh, he has so much general, you know, when he talks about his favorite authors, you know, he'll tell you, you know, he wrote this in such and such year or, you know, he went, he traveled to, you know, wherever in such and such year. So it's just mind boggling to me that, you know, he uh, remembers so many things. So, yeah, it was great. And I, what I was really keen on doing was getting him to read from some of his uh, work. Mm. I got him to recite some of his poems, which was fantastic because I had not seen him do that in any of And I'd seen some interviews where he was asked and uh, he told the interviewer, oh, you would do a better job. Mm. And, you know, they read it out. And he said the same thing to me. And I said, yeah, but you know what? People would be far more interested in hearing you read your poems than they would be in me reading them. So he mm. agreed. And he... Uh, uh, and then uh, one of his favorite books growing up and a book that inspired him to be become a writer was David uh, Copperfield, Charles Dickens, David Copperfield. So I got him to read from that book mm-hmm. as well. And in fact, I got him to sign, autograph the, the, the book of Charles Dickens, who was his major inspiration, apart from also uh, getting him to sign his books for me. So yeah, it was a absolutely wonderful experience. Yeah. Where does really the English not go from here? What can we? Yeah, expect? that's a real, that's a that's a really hard uh, question to answer. Actually, I don't know where uh, it's going to go. I mean, I just, in a way, I just keep soldiering on. I like, I just look at it. Okay, this next week, this is the video that I'm going to run, and it's not easy, you know, because when you don't have like, a, you know, when you're in an agency, you have all the resources available to you. So here I do have a couple of people helping me, but it's just not the same thing. So it's a lot of work and especially uh, like if I'm traveling, for example, and I need I need to make sure that I have uh, the video ready before I go. So if I'm traveling for two weeks, then then suddenly I have to do a lot of work in advance. And where does it, you know, to answer your question, where does it go? I don't know. I'm just hoping that... uh, uh, the changing world will tell me what uh, what they want to uh, sort of see next from the English. And one of the things that I started doing a few months ago was people used to, uh, in the comments, always tell me, can you please discuss such and such word or such and such phrase? So I have now 
most many of my videos now are basically you know i say that you know uh, my viewer whose name is such and such mm. uh, wanted me to discuss this word and then i discuss it so i feel that that's a really nice thing because you're uh, interacting in that way with your uh, viewers and giving them what they want so that's that's one of the the things that uh, i've started doing uh, of course i would love to you know interview some other authors uh, like maybe one of my favorite uh, authors is amitav ghosh he's amazing who's, uh, who's, i mean i just love his novels vikram state is another one so people like that if i ever got a chance to interview them i would be uh, totally excited uh so yeah and you know the way both raskin bond and shashi tharoor happened was you know it was not initiated by me in a sense but you mm-hmm. know it it uh, there were other people involved who made it happen for me so i don't know who, who's going to make or what the universe is going to make happen for the english nut next i'm waiting to see that uh yeah like i'd really love for you to have a chat with uh, amitav ghosh like i'm big big fan like i met him once at one of the lit fest and i got him to autograph see a poppies for me like he's just got okay. the most lovely demeanor just the softest person huh. and because in your mind when you're speaking to an author right you're carrying this baggage of the characters yeah. that he's conjured you're like yeah. okay <laughs> it came from here Yeah. So so I would love you to have that conversation with him right and I I really hope uh, like I could have helped you make it happen but nahi but I'm sure somebody listening yeah. would put two and two together No but and it's also a very daunting thing you know it's the same thing you know you're talking to this big author who's done this amazing work and you feel that you know what your questions need to have a lot of substance to them and at the same time you know it has to be something that makes sense for the you know the audience of the english nat so it you know mm-hmm. it's there there to in a sense learn english so yeah. yes of course there are english novels that we're talking about but uh, uh, like when i did the shashi tharoor interview because he's known for being the english teacher to the nation mm-hmm. so it was very easy to get into that uh, groove with raskin bond it was a little different but i still found ways you know of uh, bringing it i mean but i think also the other interesting thing with raskin bond is that in india people who don't read novels they don't read books but the one author that they would have read in english would be raskin bond you know everybody says oh you know room on the roof we read i read it when i was in school yeah. so that made it easy but then uh, somebody like uh, amitabh ghosh it's uh, you know he's in a more rarefied atmosphere so you have to be like a serious reader of english novels to uh, have read his books uh, okay. so there are many many people the people who read the chetan bhagats of the world <laughs> should not have read uh, please uh, interview chetan uh, bhagat please do that no no please you know i i, <laughs> I, I, I would pay for that category uh, there's a cap- uh, category in india of uh, english books or english writers for non readers Uh, yeah. of which uh, the crown prince of course is chetan bhagat and uh, at one time shobha day was very much uh, a yeah. uh, part of that uh, i am sorry to say that the books that they they write are, i don't think they're worth the paper that they printed on but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah and no and all the people the thousands of people who read their books but they've never read an amitabh i mean there so many fantastic indian 
uh, authors writing in English. You know, we've already talked about Amitabh Ghosh and Vikram Seth. Uh, Salman Rushdie is also uh, originally from India. He used to work at Ogilvy at one point in time. Is it? So, I don't know about that. Yeah. Oh, very yeah, cool. Yeah, he did. So, yeah, so he was also from an advertising background. Um, yeah, so I just hope that people start reading some of these kinds of authors. I've done a, a couple of videos with book recommendations, and I think it's time for me to do another one because I would really like people who are interested in reading English novels in India read good ones rather than the trash. And I find it really sad that, you know, people uh, writing books in English in India, they, you know, they don't care about grammar, punctuation, uh, you know, mm. just ramble on and on. And it's like, uh, I mean, maybe they have a, a good subject matter and the basic story that they have is good. But I mean, to me as the English nut, I, you know, it's very painful for me to read a sentence which is, uh, I mean, if not ungrammatical, definitely unidiomatic. So uh, it's it's really and the publishers also. What I don't get is the same international publishers uh, when they publish a book abroad. You know, you won't find a single mistake in those books. But you know, when, I don't know. They have a different set of standards for uh, the books that they publish in India, which are full of mistakes. In fact, that's one of the things that I'm worried about when when eventually my book is published that you know there should not be any errors and that the, you know that there should be a really good proofreader who's going through it because as a as the writer no matter how much i try i'm sure i will uh, there will be a few mistakes that will go through and what i've realized is that the publishers don't really seem to care at all so it will be on my head to figure out you know uh, somebody to make sure that there aren't any mistakes because if it's a book about the english language all the more reason that there shouldn't be any mistakes. No, absolutely. Like yeah. I have yeah. high expectations from your book, and I'm <laughs> I'm expecting a signed copy, so I'll drop in my address no, no, to do that. I'd be happy to give that to you, but uh, don't get your expectations. So, well, I mean, it's basically it's like in the English nut in a book. I mean, it's it's the kind of topic. It's it's about the origin of words and phrases. So. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff that I've uh, tackled in my videos, but it's now as chapters in a book. Hmm. So, but anyway, I, I hope that uh, the book gets published this year. The publisher has told me that they plan to work on it. I mean, I've actually submitted the manuscript okay. and they said that we'll start work this year on it. So I don't know what they mean, but uh, let's hope that it gets published this year. Yeah. No, I'm sure yeah. it will. Fingers crossed. And yeah. I hope it will be a big success. Yeah. Uh, do you get to work Thank with a you. lot of young creatives? Like, do you get to uh, mentor or kind of be around a lot of young creatives, just trying to diffuse some of what you've absorbed? And what's your mechanism to so kind of? I, you know, I'm somebody. I, I think that the that was probably the part of my job that I enjoyed the most, uh, being around young people and uh, mentoring them and learning from them. I, I always say that, especially because I'm a digital dinosaur, uh, it's really good for me to be around digital natives who, you know, it just comes naturally to them. So you can absorb and learn so much from them on that count. But yeah, I think that uh, uh, 
some of my old team members i'm still in touch with them and you know i i sort of still like to think of it as if i have this big extended team and some of them are in different parts of the world but you know there's this feeling and you know it was uh, for me just so wonderful to interact with them and uh, we used to also i used to party a lot with my team so that was also fun and i think that that brought us closer together as well um and today you know because i'm not working in an agency i i i'm not surrounded by young people but i do uh you know once in a while some some of the people that i knew uh in agencies you know they do approach me to you know just just to meet up and chat and you know maybe i don't know whether i'm imparting any wisdom to them or not but yeah i mean i always have a lot to say to them and uh, i mean i have a lot of strong points of view about uh, young people and how they should approach their jobs and careers and things like that so uh, without even being asked i give my advice to them so what would be your advice for a 21 year old creative professional who's presenting work to a cement company cmo <laughs> that's a that's like a double edged sword no i see i think that you know my advice generally the first piece of advice that i have for 21 year olds junior creators is or junior people in any profession in any job is that you cannot decide in 3 months that this job or this career is not for you i mean you need to spend a, i mean i would say even one year at a minimum because uh, what i find is that today people get into jobs with very false expectations they think that you know within their first 6 months they're going to do an award can award winning a piece that will be entered by the agency for the can awards but they don't realize that you have to get to you have to get to, you have to earn the right first of all you need to develop the skills to create a piece of advertising like that and also earn the right to work on those briefs uh but it seems like people no longer have the patience to do that and also how can you know that this job is not for you in 3 months where you've really not got to work on those pieces and uh, you know me what you're doing maybe is very basic because you're you're just starting out so yeah so i think the most important thing is that you have to have patience regardless of what job or what career you go into you know don't just uh, switch out because you know you're not you're not liking your boss or you're not liking the assignments you're working on i mean stick it out for a while i'm not saying that forever you have to keep on hating it even after a year you may consider doing something else or you know switching to a different agency but yeah um and in terms of presenting to a, a cement client i i think that for me when i was a junior creative the you you never uh, completely get over the design the, the disappointment of having your work rejected but in the early years you feel devastated because you know you you know when when you crack that idea you think it's the best idea in the world and it probably is a really good idea and then you work night and day to you know and you know you're probably 
till the you know you worked all night the night before the final presentation to make everything absolutely perfect and you go in with this beautiful presentation and uh, you know the client is this you know looking at you with this very dull expression <laughs> you realize that you know they're not warming up to your idea at all so uh, one thing i think is to be, learn to be more thick skin uh, in terms of accepting rejections and being able to bounce back and again come up with something really good but which is probably more in line with the client's expectations but is yet good i think that is uh, something that you have to do and the other thing is that you know we tend uh, and even uh, you know even after many years of experience i i would say even i at times you know you have to think try to think about it from the point of view of the client you know what is it that he would want and what is important to him i mean for me is i'm excited because i think this is a really lovely piece of creative and i'd be excited to see it on air but for them it's like they've got huge amounts of money uh, riding on it and it has to work for their business and while it's true that a really good creative piece often does work very well for the business uh, a lot of time clients are not able to see it and they they see a more literal translation of their brief which ticks off all the boxes as being the thing that's going to uh, really work for their business so i think uh, as a young person presenting we have to try to put ourselves in the shoes of this uh, cmo which is very hard for a young creative to do but maybe read up uh, read some of the you know publications on marketing articles and all that interviews of these people to see what what is making them tick and then try to you know find out or say that thing which is going to click with them i mean that this is the hardest thing to do but i think that is the secret to success that's a lovely tip though reverse engineer the reaction that you want yeah yeah makes sense yeah. Uh, so shumanto just one final question like with so many things that you're like always dabbling in uh, how do you choose what to kind of expend your creative energies on and and how do you decide what is an effort for phase 2 i i don't know i mean i think that uh, a lot of it honestly i mean what, though one would like to say that you know one is uh, sort of masterminding his uh, what he is working on most of the time a lot of times it's what is falling in your lap that you work on uh you know you you know you answer the emails that you get in life so to speak so that's one part of it and of course you always uh, i mean uh you do the things that like like i said you know i i, I never got the time to really pursue my acting career and i'm trying to do that I, i'm at least doing trying to do all the things which would hopefully enable me to uh, have that career so it's so you can sort of orient your efforts towards the thing that you want to work on in terms of advertising yeah i mean if there's a brand that you're passionate about and you would want to work on then you could try joining the agency that has that brand or has those brands you join try to join the agency which has the uh, has been doing great work across brands i mean in fact i would of course ogil the you know, the house of ogilvy has consistently over decades produced some great work i've been seeing in recent times that 
the agency called Enormous has been producing some really lovely work and yeah. we are in a time where everybody is doing this very correct purpose driven work and all that which is all well and good i mean they are still you know they are still using humor and making single minded points uh, you know that jaguar fittings uh, the uh, the uh, the lighting campaign yeah, yeah. you know I, it was just absolutely you know it was in a sense the most obvious idea and yet it was the most creative and of course just the way that they you know they executed it was absolutely uh, fabulous and and i believe that they've just won the the grand effie on yeah, that yeah, world yeah. yeah but uh, over the last couple of years they've done such entertaining work on that and then last uh, i think that was at least two years ago in fact this campaign that i mentioned and then last year they worked on asahi glass and they, that also they won some uh, awards on internationally where uh, it's for uh, noise cancellation glass window glass mm. and you see people there's a bank robbery going on but you know the bank the the car is being pushed on the road so it doesn't make a sound and the robbers the thieves have their fingers on their lips mm. and instead of shooting a gun you know they actually somebody takes the bullet and they run and you know <laughs> so it, it's basically you just wonder why everybody's doing these strange things you know in mm. a very silent and strange uh, fashion and then at the end you realize when when the glass is introduced that it was their way of saying that you know uh, mm. it's either this or you have noise cancellation so so mm. i absolutely love that and i and i really miss uh, those kinds of humorous and single minded uh, films that we used to do back in the day because somehow uh, nowadays they're not uh, as many of them coming out so you see a lot of boring advertising on air yeah so i absolutely cognizant of time absolutely enjoyed this conversation i got a lot of out, lot out of it appreciate the genuineness of it really excited about what's in store for the english nut uh, really want to see you interview some of the people that we talked about and want to see more of you on stage and on on screen uh, yeah so thank you so much I, for your time to see myself there also thank you very much for your good wishes and hopefully the next time we talk some of these things would have happened already definitely would thank you so much mantu you have a great afternoon thanks thank you very much bye